Why is so-called progressive Christianity not actual Christianity? I want to talk about that today and how I really feel like this rise of the so-called progressive Christian movement is actually leading to a lot of apostasy in the church. And this could play into what the end times tells us about the last days right before the rapture. So uh, I'm going to talk about that on today's program. It's actually kind of a part two of the previous program. So whether you listen to that one or not, I'm glad you're here. I'm finally going to tell you how to make two-step pasta today on the Cross References Podcast. I'm glad you're back with us. This is actually kind of a part two of what I was talking about in the previous episode. And so that previous episode was, uh, it's called Right Before the Rapture. It was talking about what the world is going to be like right before the rapture. And I actually cut that talk off because it was going, it was going to be so long. I decided to make the rest of it its own episode. So you're getting part two of that now. And I'm calling this part two-step apostasy. But like I said, it's kind of a, a part two to what I talked about last time. You can jump in here if you want. You'll probably still be able to follow along just fine. In this one, I want to talk about some of the tenets of progressive Christianity, which, as I've been saying, is not really Christianity at all. <laughs> I know I've been dealing with that a lot lately, but it is it is the it is the fight we're in right now. And so I'm going to talk about that. I wish I could talk about other things, but that if you're in the church, if you're a Christian in 2023 America, this is the fight that we're having right now in the culture. And um, this is the this is the attack that has come against the church. And if we are in the last days, then this is this is the spearhead of that great end times apostasy that Second Thessalonians chapter two warned us about. So here we are. Thanks for listening to the Cross References podcast, where we learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how it all points to the cross in Christ. If, if you're a new Christian or a veteran Bible reader, My hope is that God's word is going to make more sense to you after every episode. So here in this episode, we're going to continue along with what I was talking about before. I'm going to join that in just a second. If you listened to the last episode, I never did tell you how to make two-step pasta. And I know that's what you're here for. I know that's why you're listening to this podcast. So sit tight. You're about to find out all about it here on Cross References. I remember back when I wrote this material down, I was actually had I had written it down as a sermon. And the week I was going to preach it, I ended up getting coronavirus. Like we got it, we went to youth camp and we all got corona at that that week at camp. And um so I we came back sick and people would ask how I was doing. I was like, "I'm okay. The only thing that hurts is my body." And I do remember that week I temporarily lost my sense of smell. Um but I was actually very thankful for that. Because I was parenting a diaper-wearing toddler. So you know, it's kind of a benefit to not have the sense of smell. Actually, let me take that back. That actually sent me into a panic a few times because I guess the one good thing about stinky diapers is at least then you know whenever it's a messy diaper. And so since I couldn't tell anymore when you had a stinky diaper, I had to constantly go and check it. So I guess that actually backfired. But I thought it was going to be a big benefit. Now, I will say this. A lot of people lost their taste when they got the coronavirus. Thankfully, I never lost my taste. Um, and I was glad about that because my wife is a really good cook. And if I had lost my taste at that time, too, that would have made the whole corona thing even harder. 
back before I was married, for about two months, um, I moved out of my parents' house and I lived on my own for a few months and I had to fend for myself. Um, I, you know, I lived on my own in this apartment and I remember looking up recipes all the time just to see like what I, stuff I could be capable. Okay. I was like, I was looking for recipes that I could handle and I found one called two-step pasta. And I was like, whoa, well that's, that's only one step more than I'm usually capable of. So I thought that would be a good, that would be a good recipe to kind of like practice and expand my skill set a little bit. So, um, one day before like Emily was going to come over and I was, I was going to cook her some, some food first. So I decided to make her some two-step pasta. So first I did the first step and second, I did the second step. And I thought that should have been good enough, but the food just did not turn out. So here's what the recipe was. Okay. Step one, it says dump cooked noodles into the red sauce. That was step one. So I had a box of, they were like those corkscrew noodles, the, the spirally kind. And I, so I take one out of the box and I popped it in my mouth and it was really hard and crunchy. And I thought, okay, this noodle is so hard and crunchy. It must be well cooked. So then I just dumped the whole box of noodles into the red sauce. Step two involved heating up the red sauce on the stove and throwing in some cheese. And so after 20 minutes, Emily showed up and I showed her where I dumped this box of corkscrew noodles into the pasta and I took some out and put it on some plates for us. And it was still quite crunchy. (laughs) Turns out when you dump a box of noodles directly into the red sauce, they don't really absorb any liquid, even if you heat it up for 20 minutes. And so um, she asked why this food was terrible. And I said, well, look at the recipe. And she did. And she says, Luke, it says cooked noodles. You're supposed to boil the noodles in water and then you put them in the sauce. And I was like, Emily, 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 Emily. That would have been a third step. And this is two-step pasta. Well, it turns out I was wrong, but the recipe had lied to me, okay? So if you ever want to make two-step pasta someday, don't fall for it. And I remember I almost starved to death in that apartment, but I got married just in time. Well, I don't want to tell you about two-step pasta today. I want to share about something that I call two-step apostasy, okay? That's what I'm calling it whenever somebody gets sucked into the movement that's exploded lately called progressive Christianity. And I did a podcast on this not too long ago where I said, I don't even consider it Christianity, but but that's the popular name of it. So, so, so that you know what I'm talking about, progressive Christianity. And it starts the same way every time. Someone starts off as a Christian, but then they accept one of these false beliefs that are inside progressive Christianity. And before you know it, They've accepted all of progressive Christianity. And I've seen this play out again and again and again over, I'd say over the past 10 years. I've seen people that I educated in the youth group fall prey to it. I've seen Christians who are twice my age get sucked into it. Progressive Christianity. So I'm going to give you 10 of the tenets, which again, it's not even Christianity, but just so that you understand what I'm talking about today. I want to give you 10 of their tenets of what they believe, or I'm going to give you nine of them. But here's what here's what here's some of the tenets of this progressive theology: that the Bible is not the inerrant word of God; that there are many paths to heaven; 
that even if Jesus wasn't God, he was still a good teacher, that hell is not real, that we need to decolonize our faith, you know, in other words, saying that Christianity is, is too white, that God doesn't judge sin or have wrath. And of course, some of the political progressive things being pro-abortion, being gay-affirming, these progressive Christian churches, they're gay-affirming churches, and they believe the stupid stuff like that there can be more than two genders or that somebody could change their gender, okay? So those are like nine or ten of the basic beliefs of this thing that they call progressive Christianity, but which is really not Christianity at all, okay? Here is how two-step apostasy works. Step one is that you accept one of those beliefs, then step two, a year or two later, they're accepting all of them. And the reason for that is that all those things, they might sound like they're separate. They all kind of hang together. And the way I see it working again and again, it, it's like a... Actually, some people call it the woke mind virus. I think that's a great name for it. If, if one of those ideas gets in your head, if the devil can get you attached to one of them, then... For you to be intellectually consistent, you either have to drop it or you got to accept all of them. Okay, so step one, accept one of those beliefs. Step two, accept all of them. And that's how it works. It's after two steps, they might or might not even consider themselves Christian anymore. You know, at that point, Christian, it's just a meaningless label. They might not consider themselves Christian anymore. They're definitely progressive. Okay, it starts by accepting one of them. Okay, they say, well, you know, I have a family member who's gay. So they, you know, they become gay affirming. But guess what? Why do you think Jesus said that we're supposed to put him above our families? We aren't supposed to rewrite our theology around our families. Our faith is supposed to be centered in God. It's not supposed to be centered in ourselves, not our families, not our culture, not being popular. It's supposed to be around God. And how do we know what God thinks? Well, that's what the Bible says. You know that Nashville church I mentioned earlier, and they put out that meme that rejected the authority of the Bible, basically? So in 2015, or maybe it was 16, that since gay marriage was legalized, that church announced that they now supported gay marriage. But it's like, but how do you square that with the Bible? Well, a couple years later, they put out that image. They say, oh, well, we don't believe the Bible is inerrant anymore. That's the way that it works, guys. Step one, accept one of those beliefs. If you need them again, I'll put them in the show notes. I'll just put them all there. So you can go down and look in the show notes if you want. At What, what are the basic tenets of progressive theology, we might call it. It's not Christianity, but progressive Christianity's tenets. Look in the show notes. I'll put them again. Step one, somebody accepts one of those. Step two, they accept all of them. I just see it play out again and again and again. Uh, you know, so what I call Resurrection Sunday is coming up, a.k.a. Easter. I don't care for the term Easter, but that's that's another. We can do a different podcast on that. An article came out from a what they call themselves a progressive Christian website, a blog. Okay, and they put out this, this, this blog post. It's called The Trouble with Easter. How to and not to talk to kids about Easter. This is by someone named Anna Skates, and this is what she says. Okay, I'm, I'm using her own words right here. 
She says, as a children's pastor in a progressive Christian church, Easter is, well, it's rough. <laughs> that's, that's how it starts off, okay? It's not rough for me, okay? Like, for me, that was the easiest Sunday, right? I get to explain the gravity and the beauty of, of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. I guess it's not easy in the sense, like, there's a lot of pressure. You really want to nail Easter? You want to get that right? You want to do it justice? But that's not what this Christian or this uh, children's pastor means when she talks about why it's rough for her. Okay, this is what she says. No matter what I do with the Easter story, someone is likely to be upset. If I tell it flat out, I'm not only go against my ethos in regard to nurturing children's spirituality, I'd also be confusing boatloads of kids and the message of my ministry as a whole. She's afraid that if she just tells the Easter story, it's going to upset too many people in her church. <laughs> For real, this is what she's saying. She says, she says, it might go against my ethics just to tell the Easter story. It confuses the message of my ministry to tell the Easter story. <laughs> if that's what you think, there's something wrong with your church. Okay? And then she says, there are things that I know I don't want to teach. I don't want to teach that Jesus died for you or for your sins. Well, I realize that that statement won't psychologically damage every kid. If it damages one, it's not worth using. This is what she says, okay? That's what she says. If she says to tell, to tell people that Jesus died for you, she doesn't want to say that if it could psychologically damage a child. You know what, guys? We got to tell the truth, regardless of whether it's psychologically damaging for someone to hear. We got to tell people the truth. We, we can't withhold the truth from people just because it might, I don't know, hurt their feelings or cause them emotional pain. Lying to someone is not compassion. Okay, but anyway, let me go on with what she says. Again, this is what she doesn't want to teach. She doesn't want to teach, here we go again, that Jesus died to save them from God's judgment or from hell. This suggests that these children exist in a way that is displeasing or unsatisfactory to God. <laughs> Okay, let me break in here again. That would be the truth, though. It's called being a sinner. We have to teach people that they are sinners. Young, old, it doesn't matter. That should be part of the message of Christianity. We are sinners, but God, Jesus, he died for us. Okay, back to what she's saying. One thing to bear in mind is this. The point of the Easter story isn't whether, whether Jesus literally rose from the dead. We're missing the point if we're fighting over the historical accuracy of a bodily resurrection. There's so much more depth to the story than that. <laughs> That's what she says, okay? Now listen, the Easter story, it can be more than Jesus' literal resurrection, but it can't be less than that. That is part of the point. I mean, that is the point of Easter. That is the main point. Read 1 Corinthians 15. This is the point of the Christian, the, the Christian religion, you might say that we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But this, this woman who wrote the blog, Anna Skates, she says, stories don't have to be factual to speak truth. It is okay to question a literal resurrection. Questions are how we learn. <laughs> it's actually, that just makes me think it's Satan again. Did God really say, <laughs> you know, questions? And hey, it's okay to, I, I would agree that it's okay to ask. This is where there's some truth here. It's okay to ask questions. But if you're a Christian, we know the answer to these questions. The, the, the answer is, yes, Jesus rose literally from the grave. So anyway, this is what Anna Skate says. Ask the kids, do you know of a story like a myth or a fable 
that teaches a great lesson but isn't filled with facts? How might the Easter story work the same way? And what do you think we can learn from it? So, you know, the the person writing this, she's not a Christian. If you deny the literal resurrection of the body of Jesus, you're not saved. Just, again, read 1 Corinthians 15. A Christian believes in the resurrection. There's some matters within Christianity that are, that are debatable, but not the resurrection of Jesus. That's not a debatable issue. I remember back when my toddler, Zek, was two, um, his favorite number was three. He would always just want three of everything. He woke up one morning, and I was, I was walking him down the hall, and he was showing me his, his Spider-Man watch, which it did not tell time. It just had a picture of Spider-Man's face on it. But I, I'd say, hey, Zek, what time is it? And, and he looks down at Spider-Man's face for a moment, and he says, three. <laughs> if, if my wife told him that he could have a cookie, he'd say, no, three. If you try to teach him that his age is two, he would say, no, three. I remember I had offered him six M&Ms one time and he said, no, three. And I liked that because then I got to eat three. Well, there is a video making the rounds a couple years ago. There was this little boy. His mom was, was recording him and she was asking him questions about himself. And she asked him, how old are you? And he said, I'm seven. And the mom corrected him. She said, no, you're four. And they kind of had this cute little argument, cute little back and forth over whether he was four or whether he was seven. And it was kind of funny, but, but there was one thing about this video that was not so funny. The little boy was wearing a dress and makeup. And the mom was referring to him by a female name. They were having a conversation also about how he is a girl, but he was born in a boy's body. That is part of the transgender sexual confusion that has so permeated the society that we're in. We now have these whack job parents who will indoctrinate their own toddlers into gender confusion. And, and really, that's mental illness. They're indoctrinating their kids. They're putting mental illness into their kids. And they do it intentionally. And then they proudly videotape themselves doing it and they post it online for all the world to see. I mean, I would lock these parents away. <laughs> Where they, you know, these these parents belong in jail or in prison or something. But yet, we live in a sick society that wants to cheer this on. And 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 so I just was watching this video and and I just point this out. You know, as I said, at at the beginning of the video, the mother is arguing with the child about his age. And and yet then she affirms him as a girl. Um, and as I watch that, I'm like, you know, your age, that's just as much of a biological reality as your sex or your gender is. You know, it makes no more sense to say that a boy is a girl than it does to say that a four-year-old is actually seven. Because both of those statements, they would be equally wrong in a scientific or a biological sense. But anyone who supports transgenderism, I would just ask, if gender is nothing more than what you feel like, why can't somebody claim that they are whatever age they feel like? Why can't they claim that they are whatever race they feel like? You know, this whole thing, it's an incoherent ideology. But that is, that's modern progressivism for you. And it's exploding right now. 
And it's, it's coming for your kids. It's coming for your grandkids. It's coming for Christians. This is even exploding within the church and causing a lot of people to apostatize. And, and that's in a nutshell why I wanted to do this, this lesson, this study today. Because uh, I see this gender ideology being one of the things, but a major thing, that's leading a lot of people into apostasy. If you remember back in 2021, at the start of the new Congress that we got uh, at that time, they were like inaugurated or whatever you call it, uh, inaugurating a new Congress for the next couple of years. They invited a minister from Missouri, which is the state that I live in, um, which is typically considered a pretty conservative state. And yet they found some whack job minister from what, from one of the big cities to, to come out to Washington, D.C. He might have been a congressman from now that I think about it. But anyway... They asked him to pray a prayer over America. And for hundreds of years, a man of God has gotten up at the inauguration of a new Congress and prayed a prayer of blessing over our nation. But this time was a little different because this time they invited an apostate preacher to come up and and he prayed this pagan prayer. And, And I want you to listen here as he closed down his prayer. I want you to listen to what he prayed over the Congress and over our country. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths, a man and a woman. So there's a lot of stupid that's just punched right there into like one or two sentences, and I I gotta break some of it down here. Let me start with this. He got up at like the threshold of of a significant place. He got up at this at a podium that's a significant place in our government and he prayed a prayer to multiple gods. And he calls himself a minister, but this supposed minister he's under the delusion that the word amen is like gendered language and it's offensive, it's exclusion exclusionary to women or something like that. So he says amen and a women. <laughs> As if the word amen excluded women because it doesn't say a women. So he may, he said both. I mean, just one of the most idiotic things you ever heard. But idiocy aside, I, I do believe prayer is powerful. And I believe that when he prayed to these false gods, he basically, he handed our country over to demonic forces. Like he was basically, I think there was a lot of agreement in that room to just give possession of our country over to evil forces. Because look at all the evil that has exploded in our country over the past few years. When he prayed that, I think that was January 3rd of 2021. It was three days later that that room, that was right up there at the podium of the Capitol. He's standing right up there at the Speaker of the House's podium. Three days later, people were overrunning that building in a riot. And and I believe, I mean, it's because they just prayed a prayer to hand part of our, to basically hand our country over to demons. And look at all the evil that's come in, come into our country the past few years since then. Why did that happen? I think it's because our Congress prayed to a bunch of demons, and then they sealed that prayer with gender confusion, which is exactly what our country is embracing right now. And sad to say, many people who are in the church, it's leading millions into apostasy. Gender confusion, as I said, it's often the first step in two-step apostasy. Apostasy 
doesn't mean you just embrace atheism. A lot of these fake Christians will still call themselves Christians, wolves in sheep's clothing. But as our country has gotten away from God, it's not like they just decided to throw out prayer. They continued prayer, but they get a progressive apostate minister to offer the prayer. And he offers it to a bunch of demons. Religion's not going anywhere, guys. What we're seeing right now is the growth of an apostate religion. Exactly what the Bible warned us would explode right before the rapture. I knew a guy in college, and and he cussed like a sailor. And um, I mean, not just cussing. He said disgusting and disturbing things all the time. Like his mouth was a verbal sewer. Took God's name in vain all the time. Never went to church. Never read the Bible. He constantly said hateful things about Christianity, hateful things about Christians, hateful things about religion. But if I ever tried to share the gospel with him, do you want to know what he would tell me? He'd say, oh, don't worry about me, Luke. I walked the aisle and prayed a prayer years ago in a church. They told me I could never lose my salvation, so so I'm good to go. And it's like he thought, as long as he just said the magic words at some point, that from then on, it no longer mattered how he lived. He thought that he basically had a get-out-of-hell-free card, that now he can just do whatever he wants. And I mean, for the record, I don't think he was ever a real Christian to begin with. I think he was deceived. I'd, I'd tell him, you know, that's not the way it works. But, but here's what I would say for you today. The only difference in his deception and most other forms of deception, his was very outwardly obvious. It, like, it was so clear. Okay, but, but for you and me, what I'd say for us is that we have to watch ourselves. It starts with the little sins, and it grows into the big ones. So don't fall into a trap of saying, well, I would never reject God. I, you know, I just love him too much. I would never walk away. Remember what the Bible says. It says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So don't, don't just get up and kind of arrogantly say, oh, I would never deny the Lord. Because I remember someone else who said that. His name was Peter. And he said that, Lord, I could never deny you. And hours later, what was he doing? He was denying that he ever knew Jesus. What you should say is that I started this walk by God's grace. And Lord, I pray that you will sustain me each day by your grace. I don't want to trust in my own righteousness or trust in my own strength. I trust in Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that two-step pasta doesn't have two steps. It has three.